listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, we are in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, we've been working our way through this gospel, and we find ourselves in chapter 12 this week. Um, so this week I was uh, with my boys, uh, and we were watching the, the Braves Philly series. It's the only time I ever get to watch yeah, my team and your team. And let's be honest, let's own it up front. They both stink right now, so don't tell me about it, okay? But it was still fun to watch uh, as my boys are both baseball players. And so we sit there and we watch and we make observations. And, you know, I'm tempted to say, you know, it's always, to me, impressive to watch those who are at the highest level of something, those who are elite. I wouldn't use elite with Phillies Braves right now, but you know what I'm saying, right? These are the experts in what they do. And so, you know, one of my sons plays infield, one of my sons pitches, and so we're watching what the infielders do, and we watch what the pitchers do, and we're trying to learn. I'm trying to say, do you see how he, how he pitched out the stretch there? Do you see why he threw over there? Do you see why he's throwing curveballs in the dirt? And, and, and learning from the experts with the idea that, hey, this is what you should do. This is where you should go. Right, and it's funny because even this week I had to let the dog out, and I'm and I'm letting the dog out while the game's going on, and you know my oldest is like, "Hey, double Harper hit a double, woohoo!" I'm like, right. I mean, he's, you know, and he's making observations of what these guys are doing and sending it to me, which shows me they're at least seeing and learning, and that really brings us to our text today. That's that's what Jesus is calling us to. Last week we said, "Hey, you want rest? How do you get rest? You come to me, you take my yoke upon you, and you do what?" You learn from me. Watch me. Learn from me. Listen to me. And if think about it, remember, this is not pie in the sky, you know, this is just words that some guy wrote. There's folks that walked with Jesus for three and a half years. There was men and women alike who literally every day when he's teaching, they're there. When they see him opposed, they're there. When they see him struggling with hunger or he's tired or he's had a long day, they're there. And they get to watch firsthand and hear firsthand the Lord Jesus and how he lived. And he lived with intentionality. He lived in a way that he says, okay, I want you to follow me how I live. He speaks in a way where he says, hey, follow me how I speak. He treats people in a way, he says, follow me and how I treat people. And so we get firsthand today to sit at the feet of the master. And I hope that we will learn so that we can do um, and it's no better time to watch somebody and learn than when they're in the midst of opposition, right? When things are not going their way. And that's what we're going to see this morning is Jesus is going to face opposition. And what I want to do is I want to I take him at his word. I want to learn from him so that we can do. And, and I, you know, I made tons of observations of our text. It's 21 verses, so we could go in many different ways. I don't have time for that. So I'm going to give you four observations that I want to encourage us, challenge us. You know, one may be more appropriate for your context, and that's fine. I trust the Spirit of God enough that he'll, he'll land the plane for you where he needs to, right? But we're going to give four kind of principles for us to learn from the Lord Jesus as we enter this passage. And this is, is really what's been known as the Sabbath controversies, right? That's kind of, you know, what a lot of texts or your Bible might say, Sabbath controversies, uh, which is actually fitting because remember what Jesus again said last week, come to me all who weary and I will give you what? Rest. And right on the cuffs of, of this promise of rest, Matthew enters into the Sabbath controversies. And what's Sabbath about? Rest, right? Shabbat, Hebrew word for rest. And so the Lord of rest is going to teach us about rest, but he's also going to teach us some things 
that he wants us to learn. So let me read our text in its entirety, 21 verses, and we'll jump in and unpack it a little bit. Verse one, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat it. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read the law on the Sabbath? The priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and and entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than the sheep? So it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So if you're kind of familiar with church, you kind of get the concept of Sabbath. If you're not, here's kind of the backdrop of the Sabbath. All right, what is a Sabbath? For an Orthodox Jew, for a first century Jew, Sabbath is Friday night, dusk to Sunday night, dusk, okay? And during that period, they were to rest. And this is rooted in the creation, like so many of the things we do, that God on seven days creates, really in six days, and on the seventh day, he does what? He rests, he shabbats, not because he's tired, not because like, man, that was a big, that was a busy week, right? I worked overtime, because he wants to enjoy that which he has created, right? And it's a delight to sit back and observe and watch. And if you kind of zoom in and see it even more so, so what happens is God creates light and he creates moons and he creates all these things. On day six, he creates the animals, right? And after he creates the animals, he says, now let us make man in our image. Mankind is the idea. Male and female, he created them in the image of God, he creates them. And when you zoom in even more, chapter two of Genesis kind of gives an unpacking of day six. It's he creates the animals, then he gets into the dirt, and he pushes some dirt together and rubs it together and he creates man, like the man, the male, right? And then he gives him some instructions, says, do this, don't do that, here's your responsibility. And then what happens? He has the man take a nap. Already he's got to sleep. He's been alive for like four hours. And he has the man take a nap. And while he's sleeping, he pulls out a rib and he fashions the woman and he then wakes the man up from his nap and he brings him the woman and then you have this first couple. And then... The day ends, and what's the next day? The next day is the Sabbath. So their first day alive is a rest day, which shows you that God's intent from the beginning was for men and women to enter into his rest, right? Enter into his 
rest. And that's established in the creation order. The next time you see this concept of Sabbath is the Israelites have left Egypt. Val Kilmer has taken them out. Um, before he becomes Iceman, he was Moses, okay? And he's taking them out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness and God provides bread from heaven, manna, every day except for one. Six days he get, they go outside and they gather manna. On the sixth day, God says, okay, I want you to take two days worth on Fridays because there's not gonna be any on Saturday, right? Because I want you to chill and enjoy and relax and so you'll have enough for that day. And that principle of Sabbath is being built into the rhythm of God's people. And then a few chapters later, God gives the 10 commandments and commandment number four is what? Remember the Sabbath. It's a day that I've given to you to remember me, to worship, to rest, to relax, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And it was a sign of the Mosaic covenant Whenever God makes a covenant with man, he always gives a sign, a symbol of that covenant. So for Noah, he says, I'm not gonna destroy the earth ever again by water. And here's the proof, here's the sign, the rainbow. And he goes to Abraham, and you, Abraham, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed. And here's the sign of your covenant, circumcision. And so for the people of Israel, the people of God, right, in the Old Testament, he says, here's the sign of my law, that you're keeping my law, the Sabbath. You're keeping the Sabbath, And the problem is, the Israelites, after they get back into the land, they blow the Sabbath off. They don't just blow off the one day in seven, right? In the Sabbath principle was also one year in seven too. The seventh year in this agrarian society, they were supposed to just let the grass grow, let the fields grow. It was a year of rest. They were trust God. God, you will provide in six years what we can do in seven, so we are gonna take off the seventh year and trust you. That's what they were supposed to do. They didn't trust God, and so they blew off the Sabbath for 490 years. Okay, let's do a little third grade math here, all right? First service failed miserably at this, so I hope you're, you graduated third grade. Uh, 490 divided by seven is what? You are so smart. It's because you got an extra hour sleep, all right? Seven, D, right? 70 times seven is 490. This is why, if you know your Bible, the Israelites went into captivity for how many years? 70 years, because they blew off the Sabbath for 490 and said, oh, I'm gonna get my Sabbath, and he did. And then they come back, Jeremiah prophesied it. We know about it from Ezra and Nehemiah, all these. But God is serious about this. And so by the time you get to the New Testament, you have this group of folks called the Pharisees, and we see them as the bad guy. But I told you before, when they first show up, they weren't the bad guy. They were the good guy. They said, we do not want to leave the land again. So here's what we're going to do. We broke the law. We got out of the land. We're going to make laws to keep people from breaking the laws. So here's the law, here's the, here's the line. We're gonna put the line here. We're gonna make law so that we don't even get close to the law because we don't wanna go out. And so what had happened by Jesus' time, they had these oral laws and traditions, the Mishnah, where, where all these rules to keep people from breaking the actual rule and had, it had so clouded the original intent that now the Sabbath had become something it was never supposed to be. And it was more of a burden to rest than to actually rest. And that's where we find ourselves. Remember, Jesus has the right to interpret the law because he is the God of the universe who inspired the law. And we looked at this in chapter five, but that's that's the backdrop. So let's pick up in verse one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and it wasn't even him now. It's his disciples are hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And then the Pharisees show up. Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful. A couple interesting things here that popped out to me, right? Number one is that Jesus' disciples 
are doing what the Old Testament law said was for the poor people to do. And that the Old Testament law cared about the poor. And it said, if you're poor, you can walk through anybody's field you want. And if they have a grape, grape vines, you can take grapes and you can eat them right off someone else's vine. If they have grain, you want some grain, you can take it and you eat it right there. Now, you couldn't bring a, a lunchbox or a basket or your little Publix bag, right, and put grapes in the Publix bag for later. But you could meet your physical need right then. This is how God provided for the poor. And it's interesting that Jesus' disciples are doing what poor people do, right? This idea that the, the son of God, his followers, they don't even got lunch money. They got to go and do what poor people do. I think that's significant for us to remember. And here's the second thing that's interesting. It said they're doing this, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, Pharisees, whoop, they pop out of there. They're, they're, like they're hiding in the grass. They got their sniper outfit on, and they're like, they're down, you know, following Jesus. And all of a sudden, they pick a grain, and boop, they jump out of, out of nowhere. Ha, ha, ha. Why? Because they want to follow and catch him in something wrong. Can you imagine the scrutiny in which Jesus had to live his, his time here? I mean, everything he does, everything he says is being watched at all times. And they said, it's not lawful. Well, your disciples, did you see that? They had 39 different categories of things that you could not do on the Sabbath. 39. You can't, I can't even remember one thing I'm not supposed to do sometimes. 39. And in their picking of this grain and eating, they had broken at least four of them. At least four of them, right? The first one is the fact that they, they grabbed it themselves. They took of, of this of grain, this standing grain. That was considered reaping. You reaped. Reaping's not allowed on the Sabbath. And then they would have had to rub their hands together with the grain to get the grain and the chaff uh, separated, okay? That would be called threshing. Threshing is not allowed on the Sabbath. And then they would have had to blow the chaff away from the grain. That's winnowing. No winnowing on the Sabbath, and then they would eat, and that's preparing a meal, and you weren't allowed to prepare a meal on the Sabbath. You had to prepare on Friday afternoon before six o'clock because you're not allowed to cook on the Sabbath. Four rules, Jesus. They broke four rules. And you think, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is, that is true. How silly. The intent of the Sabbath was what? That if you're a blacksmith, you don't have to go to work that day. You can chill out, trust God's gonna provide for you. You're a farmer, you don't have to go into the fields. You can chill out and rest and relax and trust God's gonna provide for you. It had become more laborious to keep the Sabbath now than to actually celebrate and remember because of all these rules. And so Jesus responds, verse three. He said to them, and this is great, this is classic Jesus. He said to them, have you not read what David did? Underline that word, have you not read? These guys were experts in the Bible, memorized it. And so what does Jesus say? You guys reading that Bible all the time. Do you ever read it? Have you read it? Do you know what it says? Have you not read in the Bible when David was hungry? What did, what did David do? And this is a reference to 1 Samuel 21. You can go back and read it later. David has been anointed king, but he hasn't taken the throne yet. Saul is still there and Saul wants to kill him. So David's on the run. He's a fugitive. And he runs to a city called Nob, where there is a priest called Abimelech, and Abimelech sees David coming. He said, David, what are you doing here? He knows David's the king. David, what are you doing here? And David flat out lies. Flat out lies. He says, shh, I'm on a mission. Secret. Me, me and these men are on a mission from Saul, and we had to leave so quick, we didn't get a chance to pack a lunch. You got any food here? We're hungry. We need food. And Abimelech says, we have nothing. 
All we have is the bread of the presence. And if you remember from our study in Exodus, when you went into the tabernacle, into the holy place, there's three things. There's a little incense there. There's a candlestick there. And there's a table on this side that has 12 loaves of Wonder Bread, right? And those 12 loaves would sit from Saturday to Saturday. And every Saturday, they would take the old ones off and they replace it with new. And then after they took it off, the priests, that was their lunch. He says, that's all we got. And only priests could eat it. The law said only priests could eat that bread. But what Abimelech does is, I have this bread. If you guys have been kind of set apart, you've been holy, then you can have it, even though it's against the law. And what Jesus is saying is, that priest saw the need of the king as more important than the little rule, right? Have you not read that, Pharisees? I know you have. I know you have. And then he goes to another example. Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath... The priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. Do you not realize that on Saturday, the priests and Levites are more busy than they are on Wednesday? I mean, the, the, the crowds are, are bigger. The sacrifices are more. The offerings are there. They're busy, busy, busy. And you say that's fine because they're doing it for God. But for anybody else to do that, no, 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 it's a Sabbath. He said, haven't you read? Don't you know what it says, Right? And then he makes this statement. And then again, don't forget the model. This, this is great for us, side application. What does Jesus do when he's challenged? He says, what does the Bible say? He doesn't say, what, what's your truth? What do you think is true? He says, no, no, this is God, the one who inspired the Bible. He says, what does the scripture say? What does the model of the text say? And then he makes this great statement. He says this, I tell you something greater than the temple is here, which is a shock to them. Because there's nothing greater than the temple. The temple is where the presence of God is, is, is and, and is where you access God. He says, no, something is greater than where the presence of God is. What? Me. Because I am God. You don't have to go up to Jerusalem and climb the hill anymore. You just come near me. That, that's greater. And if you had known what this means, and he's going to quote their Bible that they know, and we've already seen this verse in, in Matthew chapter nine. He's going to quote it for the second time. If you knew what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You wouldn't have condemned my boys for what they did. Because I, for I, am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's an amazing claim to deity, number one. But what is he saying there? He said, y'all are so concerned with your little sacrifice and your little rules that you will walk right by a hungry dude so you can go to church. And, and you're ignoring what the point of the law is. I don't care about your little offerings. I don't care about your little singings and your little givings and all that stuff. What I care about is mercy. And I care about compassion. Because remember what he says elsewhere. Man was not created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man. I gave you the Sabbath as a gift of mercy and compassion so you could chill and take a nap and relax and enjoy me. I gave it to you and you have flipped it. It was an act of mercy and compassion. That's what I'm after. That's what I want. You're so anxious about getting to church so you can check a box. And, and here's... Here's the first thing, first observation, first thing I think if we're sitting with Jesus, if we're gonna listen to him, if we're gonna learn that we need to grab, it's that people matter over procedure. All right, I needed two Ps. That's not, I'm, I don't use the word procedure often, but I needed two Ps, so bear with me. But here's the thing, procedure is easy, isn't it? Some of you love, you love a manual. You love a box that you can check. Check, done. Got it done. You have a checklist. You have goals. You, have it. you love that. 
But here's the thing about it. That's easy. Boxes are easy to check. They're not emotionally taxing most of the time. Keeping a rule, jumping through your hoop, yeah. But you can check a box. You can have your procedure. You can miss the point. You can wake up at 6 a.m. You can get your big old Bible out, cup of coffee, your journal, 16 different colored pens that are matched to the attributes of God and which member is the spirit pen and the son pen and the father pen. And you can have all that out. You're reading it all. I'm reading Ezekiel. No one reads Ezekiel. You can be reading Ezekiel. And then one of your kids comes in, Mommy, I need Rice Krispies. Don't you know that I am spending time with God? Your husband comes in, Hey, have you seen my jacket? You shouldn't have put it in the same place. I am spending time with the Savior of the world here. You can miss the point. You can be, so this is probably some of your experience this morning. We're getting ready for church. Sin abounds. We have to hurry or we're going to end up in the video venue. Get in the car. We're going to be stuck in the balcony. I know some of y'all choose the balcony. I get it. But some people don't want the balcony, all right? Get in the car so we can go to church and worship our Savior. And you can miss the point. You can miss the point. You can park in a neighborhood and be like, great, we have to park a quarter mile away. And you can take your family dressed to the T with your car that costs more than, than what most people in this neighborhood make in a year. And there's two or three families living in that three bedroom, one bath house. And you can pull up in front and be mad because you have to park far, but at least we're going to church. And you can miss the reason why God put CBC in this very neighborhood in the first place. You can miss the point, right? You can miss the point. Right? We can have our hands up in the air and worship and I'll oh, stand amazed in this presence and do all that. And you go to work tomorrow and you see that coworker of yours who eats lunch alone every day because people don't like him because they're different. And you can ignore him like everybody else instead of pursuing them and saying, hey, come with us or hey, you want to grab coffee and, and, and miss the point. See, it may not be Sabbath, but it's other ways. And I think if we sit with Jesus, if we learn from Jesus, he would want us to learn people matter. Acts of mercy matter. And, and this is the challenge here. Mercy is costly. It just is. Because the whole idea of mercy is they do not deserve it. Your family member that hurts you doesn't deserve it. Your spouse who hurt you doesn't deserve it. Your children who did X, your boss who did X, your, your neighbor who did X doesn't deserve it and it's inconvenience and I would agree with you it is that's the point when you see that phone number show up on your phone and you're like I do not have time for him right now I got this to do I got that to do I got to go there I'm eating I'm watching family feud I don't have time for this dude right now <coughs> see that's mercy when you answer the phone and you say I'll put aside X because I'm going to talk to Y, right? For some of us, you know, it, it might be, it might be you, you, all you care about is justice and that person getting what they deserve instead of going and saying, hey, I'm here. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm for you. For some, I mean, it might be as simple as you're walking into church and you see a friend or someone or a coworker and you can just see it on their face that they are a wreck, 
and the most godly, merciful thing you could do, and this will be challenging for some of you, especially you grew up in the South, is be like, hey, let's, let's, not go in, let's not go into church. Let's go down the road to Coffee Deli. Let's get a cup of coffee. Tell me what's going on. I'm not telling you to skip church. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that some of you would never do that because I gotta be in church because the sermon, I'll miss Matthew 12 and then I'll be lost and I'll be behind and whatever. And you're so concerned about Matthew 12 that this person who's broken and hurting and you could spend that time with him, that would be a godly, merciful thing to do. Or your neighbor who is, just broke their leg or she's elderly and she just lost her husband in her yard. It, it looks like Jumanji over there. And you're like, well, I, I, could, I could do something, but it's Sunday. I can't work on Sunday and cut their lawn. And I'm busy during the week, so I guess Jumanji is going to stay. Cut their lawn. I'm telling you to cut their lawn, right? Because it's an act of mercy. I know your grandma says if you work on Sunday, you're going to hell. She was wrong, right? Go cut their lawn because it's an act of mercy. And that, that's the idea, right? It's, it's willingness to be inconvenienced. For some of us, we can write a check. It's not really a big deal. There's plenty of zeros in your account and it's almost easy to write a check. But time, don't take my time. I got this to do, I got that to do, I got this to do, and that would be the act of mercy God's calling. Like, I can't even go into all the applications, but the point is this. God has called us to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. They are sons and daughters of God. They shall be, called, they shall be given mercy right? That's what Jesus says. And so what does that look like for you? I don't know. But I can say this, who do you need to show mercy to in your life this week? Who do you need to go and pursue? Who do you need to have compassion on that's more important than what you've got going on in your procedures, even what you, well, this is not what I do. Do it. That's learning from Jesus. Let's continue. Verse nine. And he went on from there, entered their synagogue, which is fascinating to me. Would you go to these guys' church? I wouldn't. Right, but he does, and a man there was there with a withered hand. And the way I read the text, and maybe I'm wrong, I think I'm not, but I could be. I think he's a plant. I think he's there on purpose. I think the Pharisees know he's going to be there, and they're hoping Jesus will see him because they know that Jesus, when he sees someone suffering, he moves towards them. And this is probably a small village; everyone knows everybody in their in their little their little synagogue, and so. They probably see Jesus seeing that guy in the corner because he's not going to be out in the front. He's going to be kind of hiding because he's handicapped. Withered hand just means he, he can't move it. It's, it's shortened. It's, it's shriveled up. It's useless. This is the guy who can't work a job because he can't, he won, he's one hand, right? And so they see Jesus looking over at this guy and they're like, aha, we got him. And so they ask him a question and you can just hear him. It's like a, there's an academic voice. Jesus, is it lawful? It's probably British. They're probably British. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's my best British. I don't know. Is it lawful? Is, what would Moses say? That's more Monty Python than British, I think. What would Moses say about healing on the Sabbath day? And it's a loaded question. Right? They could care less. For one, they've never healed anybody in their lives. It's not like something like, well, I would normally do it on a Tuesday, but I can't because they've never healed anybody. And they're asking it so they could what? Accuse him. And they already know the answer that they're wanting. It's like asking your kids a question. What, what were you thinking when you did that? You don't want them to answer. You already know the answer. You weren't thinking is the answer. It's a loaded question. They already had their rules laid out. There was rules for what you could do on a Sabbath and what doctors and healers could do. And you were not allowed to do anything unless their life was in danger. 
So you broke an arm? He's gonna have to suck it up for a day until, it turns, until the sun goes down, then we'll do something. We'll reset the bone then. You got a stomach bug? No Pepto-Bismol for you, kid. Not until the sun goes down. You're just gonna have to be in the other room and the other room and the other room. But we can't do anything unless their life is in danger. How dumb is that? Right, how dumb? But that's the rule. So they, they're just trying to find something to, to, to accuse him. Right? That's what they want. And so Jesus is gonna respond. He's gonna answer their question. Before he does, he's gonna give them an illustration. He says, which one of you? Which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Okay, now for them, remember, sheep are just common. They're not like super valuable to them. They kill them every Saturday, all right? So this is not like, you know, your, your Labrador that's been around for 12 years and you've been, you know, he's, you know, rides in a golf cart and goes on trips with you, right? This is not something that's special to them. He said, you just have a sheep, something that you're gonna offer as a sacrifice and it falls into a pit and its life is not in danger, I mean, it's going to be an uncomfortable couple hours, right? It's going to be all, bah, bah, and you're going to be like, shut up, sheep. I can't get you right now. No, you're going to go in and you're going to relieve the sheep of his discomfort. How many of you are not going to do that? He's, none of them. They're all going to do it. And this is an argument from, from lesser to greater. He said, okay, well, if that's true. Then how much more value is a man, mankind, not men, mankind than a sheep? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep, right? His, his argument is, you're gonna do this for a sheep, but you're not gonna do it for a person. You're gonna relieve the, the discomfort of a, of a sheep, but not of a person. And Jesus makes a very clear statement, y'all, that, that has been muddled in our culture big time. And, uh, and that is this, that humans are more valuable than animals, okay? And it's, there's chaos out there right now. Right, with this, this kind of idea. Now, look, I love animals. I mean, I love most animals. I hate cats, but I love every, most everything else. Okay, I, I'm, an animal, I'm an animal guy. I got two dogs, love them. Right, part of the family. But if it comes to this kid or this dog, who this dog, by the way, is more obedient than this kid. <laughs> I mean, Maverick, right, is, is more obedient than most of my children. He loves me more than my kids, probably. But if it comes to, I gotta choose one, that's not even a choice. It's not a choice. Maverick, your dog food, bud. Sorry. Why? Because humans are more valuable. And it's not because I say so. It's because men and women are created in the imago Dei, the image of God. Right? In the image of God, he created them male and female and have value. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter how old or young you are. Because you are imago Dei, image of God, you have value. And I know people go, oh, you know, sheep have rights too, you know. Yeah, don't let them pull the wool off your eyes. That's my cheesy joke for you, for you boomers out there, right? Yeah, they do. And Proverbs teaches we should treat animals well. Absolutely. But when it comes to humanity versus the creation other than humans, there's no competition. No competition. And this is why, y'all, just to be very clear, this is why we defend the life of the unborn. And I'm sick and tired of this becoming a political football, uh, this is party, this party. It's nothing to do with parties. It's, it's like Jesus said, what does the scripture say? The scripture says, before you were born, before you were formed, I knew you. you were, I formed your inward parts. John the Baptist, six month in utero, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a fetus, it's a person. A person is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why we defend and fight for the life of the unborn. 
Don't treat it as a, this is not a blue-red issue, y'all. It's just not. It really isn't. What does the Bible say? What does scripture say? And scripture says it doesn't matter what, what you can or cannot do, how old or whatever you are, you have value because God, the maker of all things, has implanted you, imprinted you with his image. And there is your value, right? That's, that's, that's what scripture teaches, right? But again, back to Jesus's point. If, if you're gonna do this for a sheep, Sean, the sheep you're gonna take out of the ditch, how much more? A person made in God's image. So you want an answer to your question, Pharisees? It is lawful, it is good, it is right to do good on the Sabbath, and that means your rule is dumb. That's what he's saying. And then I love this. He says to the man, he looks at the guy, he says, stretch out your hand. Which really on the surface is kind of a cruel statement, isn't it? Because he can't. I mean, he can't. If he could do that, he would have done it by now. He cannot physically do it. There's no muscle there. There's no nerves there. There's, it's shriveled up. But here's the thing about scripture and about God. He will never command you to do something he doesn't enable you to do, right? Just like Peter. Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, call me out on the water and I'll walk on the water. All right, come on, Peter. Peter can't walk on the water on his own, but God enables him until he starts looking around and like, what am I doing? I'm walking on the water. And then he goes down. But God always enables what he commands to do. He says, stretch out your hand. And old boy goes, and it says it was restored and healthy, just like the other one. Can you imagine that? Here's a guy, he's got to go lefty all his whole life because his hand is shriveled. Now he's got them both. He can clap, fist bump. He's like, this is a church, this is a steeple, open door, all the people. First time he's able to do that, ever. Never able to do that before. And you would think that everyone there, especially the Pharisees, the pastors of the church, you would think they'd be like, bro, I don't like him, but that was legit right there. I mean, I don't agree with him, and I think he's what? But that really happened. I just saw that thing like, I just saw that thing go out. And I know that guy because I grew up with him. I went to middle school with him. His hand's been like that forever. And now he's clapping and fist bumping people. I don't like him, but that was legit. You would think at least that. But no, all it did was make him more mad because he did it on Saturday. And so the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him, how to obliterate him, how to destroy him. And if you read Mark's account of this, it says they they went with the Herodians to do this. Now, if you know anything about history, the Herodians and the Pharisees were two opposite political parties. It would be like, you know, McDonald's and PETA getting in a room and figuring it out and say, yeah, we're good. We agree with this. They do not get together. They despise each other. But what they do is they put aside their differences because they hate Jesus because he made somebody healthy on Saturday. And even here, even think about this. How did he heal? How did he heal him? I think it's significant and on purpose. He didn't, he didn't touch him. Remember, Jesus is before, he touches Peter's mother-in-law, she's healed. He lays hands on people. One time he makes mud with dirt and he puts it on their eyes and they can see. He doesn't move. All he does is say, stretch out your hand. No work there. Doesn't massage his hands, right? He just speaks so that he didn't really technically break the rule because he didn't work, but yet they're still mad. Why? Because they're legalists. And here's the second observation and lesson we can learn, that love is greater than legalism, right? Jesus loved this guy. 
So he wants to do good for this guy. And it trumped their legalistic rule. And we gotta be careful because sometimes in the church, when someone is pursuing holiness and actually has convictions, we're like, oh, he's just a legalist because he won't fill in the blank. We're not talking about that, right? Scripture is clear, flee sin, right? Pursue righteousness, pursue holiness. But sometimes when someone's pursuing holiness, it's convicting to us, we just say, oh, he's a legalist. We're not talking about that. Right? We go, that's why we go back to what the scripture says. What does the scripture say? Jesus says, what is it? have you not read? But what happens in the church is we will take a principle, a good principle, and then we will build applications on that principle, which is again, fine. But then our application is different than their application. And because we differ here and there on the principle, we say, I'm better than them. They're worse than me because they don't keep my, my, my rule, my application based on the principle. That's what happened on the Sabbath. That's why some of you, you will never rake a leaf on a Sunday. You're like, nope, grew up in the South. Nobody worked on, on Saturday, won't watch TV, that's fine. Great, and, and that's your conviction? Awesome. I work every Sunday. So I'm gonna rake me a leaf if I got a leaf to rake, right? I, not that I don't honor the Sabbath principle. It's not that I don't rest and it's not that I don't think it's spiritually, but that's, that's not my conviction, I'm gonna honor the Sabbath. I'm gonna be with people of God on the Lord's day. I'm gonna take a day off of work so that I can restore. But I might rake a leaf. And we do this in all things. The principle of flee immorality. That's true. But some of you are like, man, flee immorality, that means I will never watch an R-rated movie. Awesome. Some of you are like, I won't even watch a Disney movie. And if you watch any Disney movie, then you're wicked because I won't watch it. And we make our application, which may be true and good for your soul, that they're, they're bad because they watched a Disney movie. And we do this with everything, right? We're supposed to raise our children up in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And that means I have to do this kind of schooling, this kind of this, no sports or this. And we fill in the blank and application that's fitting and good for our family. But since that family doesn't do that, we're better than them and they don't really care about God or their children. It's like, you got that from there? And we do it all the time in churches. We do it all the time in Christianity, right? And, and, and it's all really about my righteousness, my works, my this, my impressing God. And when we, when we go to legalism, we are the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that parable? The prodigal son goes off, he sins it up. He comes home and the father restores him. And the older brother who never went off and sinned it up, he's just standing there mad. This is not fair, he gets a big old party. I don't get a party. He gets a ring. I don't get this. He gets a robe. Father is celebrating this sinful body. I've never done X. I've never done Y. I'm better than him. And we've become the older brother who doesn't rejoice with God showing compassion and love because the reality is this. Whatever rules you keep that make you feel good, you've still missed the mark by a mile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus showed us what the standard of the law is, Right? Yeah, you haven't murdered anybody except for the fact that you hate someone in your heart, murderer. Yeah, you haven't committed adultery, although you've lusted in your heart, adulterer. You don't want God's standards held to you because you fall far short. And the point is this, God loves you anyway. God was merciful to you anyway. He showed you grace and compassion. And so we do the same. It is good, lawful, it is good to do good on the Sabbath. And I'm not saying we put truth aside. You can't put truth and you can't separate truth and love. I'm not saying, oh, we just love people, you know, and they can do whatever. No, I'm not talking about that. But you can be loving and kind and hold to the truth. Jesus is so good to these Pharisees. Think about it. 
Again, this just blew my mind. He goes to their church. Would you, if they had just opposed you and slammed you, would you go to their church? I wouldn't go to their church. I'd be like, man, I'm looking for the Presbyterians this week or I'm looking for the Charismatics. I ain't going to theirs. He shows up in their synagogue. The play, remember, the synagogue is the place where the words of Yahweh were read, where the worship of Yahweh took place, where the songs to Yahweh took place. Yahweh stepping in the church and they had just opposed him and they're about to call him basically empowered by the devil next week and he still shows up. He still comes to them. He still shows them mercy. I think that's a great model for us. And it's something I need to learn. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. Um, because if someone's hurt you, love them anyway. If someone uh, purposely or impurpose, not on purpose hurts you, you love them anyway. That's what God does, right? In the middle of opposition. So love over legalism, people and mercy over procedure. And two more real quick. These are quick, I promise. So Jesus... Aware of this, he withdrew from there and followed, and many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isn't it interesting? He heals people, and he pulls away because he doesn't want attention. I mean, if he was living today, I mean, if you're one of his disciples and he had just done this, you'd be like, Jesus, we need to be in Jerusalem where it's happening. You need to get yourself out there. Jesus, you need to be on Twitter. You need to tweet, Jesus. We need to Instagram. We need, we need a before after this guy's hand like this and then this guy's hand like this. We need a before after picture. Unfiltered. We need to see it. We need everybody to know. We need everyone so they'll come to you. And he, he's like, no, no, no. I'm gonna do the will of the Father, but I'm not gonna do it to be seen. I'm doing it because it's the will of the Father. And here's the third thing I think we can learn from Jesus. He's not seeking attention. He's not after an audience. He's not trying to impress. What is he doing? He's just seeking the will of the Father. He's just following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Isaiah says. He quotes Isaiah, and, and it's one of the servant songs. He said, behold, my servant, whom I've chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is pleased. I'm gonna put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He's not gonna quarrel or cry. He's not gonna make a big fuss. He's not gonna be loudmouth in the street. He's not gonna be fighting everybody. Let's go, let's debate. He said, no, no one's even gonna hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed will not break. A smoldering wick will not quench. He, he's the, the despised and rejected in that day. He, he's gonna actually restore him. You're not gonna be like Rome or the Pharisees who look down on him. He's, he's gonna actually restore these things until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles, us. And this is a Jewish gospel, remember. The Gentiles will have hope, right? He's not after attention. He's not after everyone seeing him. What is he after? Doing his father's will. Following the Holy Spirit's leading. And here's the question I, would, I asked myself and I want to, ask you, I think this, this is telling. Would you do acts of mercy? Would you be obedient to God if no one else ever knew or saw? Would you step into a service or something, give, give a gift of money or your time and no one ever knew it except for you and God alone? And would you be satisfied with just that? Because Jesus would. Because he's satisfied and content with just the Father. Seeing. I'm not saying thank you notes aren't great and, and hearing, hey, good job, I appreciate that. Yeah, we should do that. But would you do it if no one else saw it? Just you and God. Would you be satisfied and content with no you know, fanfare? Because that's the Lord Jesus. That's why I love that we don't know much about most of the apostles. 
What did Nathaniel do? I don't know. You know, what did Bartholomew do? I don't know. Isn't that great? God knows. Would you be fine being obscure? See, obscurity is who Jesus was. Learn from him. Be willing to be obscure, right? That's a hard lesson for us when we want more followers and we want more people to like us and we want more attention. And here's the last thing. When you do this, understand this. You're gonna face opposition. You just are. Expect opposition. Expect people not like you. I know there's a myth in the church. If we just are loving and kind and everything else, everybody will just love us. You're gonna out-love Jesus, out-kind Jesus, out-mercy Jesus. They hated him. You're not gonna out-good him. See, what the world really wants, and I don't even have time to go here, but what the world wants is you to affirm them. That's what they want. They want you to say what they are doing is right, even if it's wrong, which is why we go back to the word and say, well, what does the scripture say? And when you don't affirm them, even with love, even if you're loving and say, I just lovingly disagree, this is what I believe, they will hate you because you do not affirm them in their sin. They did it to Jesus, they'll do it to you. And we gotta be ready for that. Just, just know, you're not gonna be the most popular. You're not gonna be the most liked. But here's what you gotta remember. Jesus says, hey, it's okay. They did it to me, they're gonna do it to you. My burden is light, my yoke is easy. You trust me. You trust me. It'll be all right. I got it. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church, right? So we got a lot to learn. I know I went long. A lot of work, at least I do. Mercy, acts of mercy, compassion, over, over procedure, love over legalism, right? Serving in obscurity and knowing that opposition will come, but, but take courage, Jesus has overcome the world. Let me pray. Uh, and we'll sing in response. Father, I thank you for your word, for the model of Christ, for our Savior who served us, who in obscurity came, even though you, creator of the universe, all glory, power, and authority are yours, and yet you became a servant. You withdrew, you hid yourself, you served in obscurity. You were merciful to those who hated you, you were compassionate to those who opposed you and wanted to destroy you. And in the right time, you died for all of us. And so we, we, we revel in that, we rejoice in that, we remember that, that you are our model. Uh, help us to do the same, to show mercy they don't deserve it because you did, to love those who don't deserve it because you did. Uh, it's for Christ's name and for his glory, I pray, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.